Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, and welcome to the Asking Industry Podcast, episode 48. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, the London Live Circuit. David Maholland is the founder and big cheese, as he puts it, for the Soho Comedy Club, which has run for over 10 years in the centre of the capital. I got him on the show to talk about what he thinks is the reason for the longevity of the club, the reason why it has surpassed some other clubs, the reason why it's been able to stay a paid club, loads of good stuff like that, loads of on how to promote clubs in London, how to grow your club, how to... Uh, really find a, a sort of niche for your club and, and continue to pull in good numbers of audiences in what is an increasingly competitive market. If you're someone who's looking at running a club in London, I think you'll get loads out of it. If you already run a club, I think you'll get some really great advice out of it. And I think also it'll give you a really unique perspective on what it's from the other side as a promoter and how much work goes into promoting a club. going to just jump straight into the podcast, to be honest with you. We're going to jump straight into it. I just thought his take uh, on the way the economy has changed and how that's affected people's habits of going out and how much disposable income they have and why that means that it's had an impact on both comedians' careers as well as promoters' careers, as well as the scene in London, as well as flyering and timeout going down. Just every We just covered so much in this hour, so um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Without any more delays, this is David Maholland. Um, so I was going to ask a question to start off with, but I feel like uh, I sort of want to know what you were going to say a second ago about being known as a promoter and that not necessarily being what you want to be known for uh yeah i mean i, I when i started the club um back when i was a new comic basically so i could swap have one night and turn it into multiple nights by swapping nights with other new comics who started up a night right just to get stage time yeah and um yeah i mean it just i i've run things before and uh, so, I mean, I, I ran a magazine. I was an editor. Um, so I, it didn't, running a tiny little organization didn't, wasn't difficult for me. But yeah, I mean, that's how I started it. And, and I've never, I've, I've never had a show I haven't performed in, in uh, some capacity. Uh, or if I'm not there, that's because I'm performing somewhere else. Right. So as many shows as Soho Comedy Club has done, I've done that many plus quite a few others. So, was it always a, a paid show, or was it a free show at one point? Always a paid show. Okay. And you started yeah. that how long ago? 2000, 
2006? 2006. Ten years ago. Ten years. Yeah. Was because now obviously free nights are everywhere in the capital. Yeah. Did it was it easier back then to run a paid night then to, versus a free night? It was easier to run a paid night, and yeah, there's a lot more free nights going on, and boy, are they not helpful. Uh, right. Because an audience that doesn't pay doesn't pay attention. They have to be invested in it. And I haven't, for the Monday night, which is the original night, uh, for the Monday night, I'm still charging the same amount of money as I was 10 years ago. Which, and obviously with inflation, that's worth quite a bit less. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, 10 years ago. You know, a pint is now more than five pounds. Or it's yeah. about five pounds, five and maybe up. And back then, I think you could, you know, you'd be getting three drinks for ten pounds easily. And now, you know, it's so. I wonder what the inflation mark is over the last ten years, but it's got to be about twenty percent. Yeah, cumulative. So, you are you? You're not a fan of the free nights, then, or mm, I. I no, because I think people have to be invested in it, even in a small way, you know, even if it's two pounds, uh, just so they felt, feel like, hey, they should pay attention. Um, so, no, I'm not a fan of the free. And it, um, I mean, I understand why people do it. Um, I think barry ferns does a good job with it mm. with you know because he does do the contributions and people do put money in and but in general no um and, and especially if you're trying to if you're doing it for a living well the money's got to come from somewhere mm. you know it's uh you don't you can't spend full time doing comedy if you're not making money at it somehow um I mean, in the case of Top Secret, they run free nights, uh, but they keep the bar. So basically, they're just they're they're running a bar basically with comedy on the side, and um, you know that's one model. Uh, but no, my nights have always been paid because there's costs. Yeah. It's not a hobby for me. It's what I do for a living. Yeah, and your night you mentioned before doesn't always make a hundred percent profit on every mm. night you run. No, no, my Monday nights. Um, I pretty much break even Friday. I make all the money on a Saturday. Okay. And um, and yeah, it's the really kind of hope that at the end of the year more has come in than gone out. So you how it runs four nights a week, right? Four shows a week, three nights. Okay. So Monday, Friday, and then two shows on Saturday. Right. And in three different venues. Okay. And Monday night breaks even, Saturdays make money. Is that because Monday there's less people coming out or because... The, the costs on the Monday night are tiny. Okay. I mean, it's, it's just, it's me, a little bit of marketing and a couple flyers. Right. You know, so the costs are tiny, uh, but the room's small. Uh, but it's you know it it fills up and it feels great. It's a really fun gig. Mm. It's it's probably the most fun gig that I run during the week. But it's tiny and it doesn't. It's not. It it informs the other nights. But it's a new material night for pros. Right. So it's a great workout room. 
and you don't need a big audience you just need enough of an audience in a small enough space and enough variety in the audience so you can really test whether the material works mm. um the downside it's such a fun night that sometimes the audience is laughing and people go like that was great material and they try it somewhere else and not such a good audience <laughs> and it they're like i can't get it to work again so yeah. that happens yeah yeah that's happened a couple of times and i it's frustrating yeah because you're sort of like why did they oh because they've been so primed yeah that you're like mm. um so you mentioned flyers and mm-hmm. flyering, and and uh, in Leicester, is it Leicester Square is yeah. where that's the predominant area that your flyers kind of work. Yeah, and I know for the Monday. Yeah, yeah, and I know that Soho do that as well, and so do uh, the the comedy store sometimes flyer. No, to- I don't know. comedy store doesn't. Okay, no, the clubs that flyer, uh, the the legitimate clubs <laughs> that flyer is uh, my club, Soho Comedy Club, um, Top Secret Ninety Nine Club. And um, and then there's others that kind of come and go, like Monkey Business was there, but I think they've disappeared, and they were flying for a little bit. Um, and then there's uh, and then there's a club that flyers loads, but they're just they're they're not a real comedy club; they're just a tourist scam, right? Which is really frustrating, right? Uh, anyone listening to this podcast never go to London Comedy Club. Right. It is a tourist scam. Okay. Uh, is, is that what's... Can I ask what's happening there? I don't... It's run by a little psychopathic uh, guy named Inky Jones. And what he does is he hires loads of flyers. He uh, has quite a bit of marketing to push high price tickets. Uh, totally false advertising. I mean, completely, utterly, 100% false. He makes it seem like Michael McIntyre is coming there every week. Uh, And what the show is, is it's Inky Jones being insulting the audience for 90 minutes. And if you want to see sort of old-style, racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic uh, comedy... And where he just lays into the audience. And he's a psychopath. He enjoys attacking people. Um, and then he'll bring on a new comic to do like 10 minutes. And that's the show. And there's a, a guaranteed no money back. And he doesn't pay his flyers. He stiffs them. He tells them they're being paid commission. Then he stiffs them. So their turnover is huge. Um, he, he gets about half the audience walks out every show in disgust and demand their money back and they won't get their money back i mean he's a psychopath and that's not a real comedy club how is that allowed to happen advertising standards authority has twice ruled that they must cease and desist uh their false advertising right uh but they don't have the legal teeth to actually throw someone in jail right and and he's just refusing to stop he just you know he'll stop for a little bit change a website um. Yeah, like the the problem is, uh, he's been mentioned on um, uh, your money their scam on okay. BBC One. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. yeah, he was featured on that. Right. It's the only thing I've ever seen on that show featured where it was a one-off. You know, normally it's a national thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was a one-off one. You know, one guy at one place. Wow. And it was mentioned on that show. It's a total utter scam, um, which is sad because it it. 
for every person who goes there, they go, oh, stand-up comedy's horrible. And in the West End of London, there's amazing stand-up comedy. There's you know, loads of really good clubs. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's not. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I just wanted to. My little clarify. rant on Inky. No, no. I just wanted to clarify mm. what what we're talking about and who, because uh, this podcast is online. E- so every everybody, every promoter, and every pro comic who works Central London hates that organization. Right. Like with a passion. I mean, talk to Mark Rothman, and you watch him turn red in the face just talking about it. Um, and but I mean, comedians as well, mm. who know it and hate it. Mm. So it's not you won't upset anyone except Inky. Uh, what's really funny is his uh, one of his websites uh, has an Inky fan club, and it has a counter right. with six digits, right. and <laughs> there isn't a single member. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. You'd think you'd hide that. Until I don't know, maybe you'd think, 10. wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'd love to. I'd love to think he ironically has put that up, like just sort of. Oh, and no, I've got no fans. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Okay. Um, well, I was only I was asking about flyering because um, uh, flyering yeah. in Edinburgh, for example, pretty much the only way if you if you sort of need to drum up more audience to get people in. Yeah. Flyering in London, does that? help out with clubs i mean how how do you find your rate of sort of number of flyers to people come? i mean do you track that yeah every show okay yeah <laughs> we track it every show uh we've got records going back for quite a ways on that flyering is becoming less effective right um and it's really because of smartphones right and smartphone applications uh it's becoming people are able to look things up really easily now information is easier to get but it's still effective it still works the um but not so much a f- it's it's not so much the flyer that's it's the person it's basically having a prop so that people can sell a show right and that's really the um that's what f- flyers are good for uh in they work they work well in leicester square they don't work well in other areas of the city and in Edinburgh, they're vital. Mm. What else do you do then? Like, what's your? Do you have an online sort yeah. of? I mean, you've got a website and you've got social media and stuff. But what's your? Uh, like, have you found anything specifically that works quite well for getting like bums on seats? No. <laughs> um, I've found a lot of things that are a little bit good. Okay. But you put it all together, and that's good. Right. Um, our website is quite highly ranked. Okay. So it's, um, that, that's probably the biggest selling tool. It's okay. probably, yeah, the Google ranking. And, um, but, you know, we've had the website for a long time. There's a lot of links to it. Yeah. So it's, um, that helps, and the site's updated all the time, and... It's um, and it's going to get better because mm. we're improving the website. Mm. So, obviously, I mean, obviously, your web presence is vital nowadays yeah. and stuff. Have you ever had an experience with like Groupons or like group discount buying? Yes, yes, I tried Groupon. Um, there, there, there's no point in using Groupon. <laughs> okay. Um, the thing is, is that what you, if you put on a really good, here's the thing that really killed Groupon for us. We were only making two pounds per person 
on Groupon. And when people were leaving, they were saying, wow, that's a great, that was a great comedy show. I wonder what we'll find on Groupon next. Right. Like, so we were getting fans of Groupon, not fans of the comedy show. And at two pounds per person, we weren't making enough money to justify it. It was, it was basically papering the audience. And once people realize that you're on Groupon, they'll wait for your tickets to come out on Groupon, and it'll kill your regular price tickets. So, no, it's, it's pointless. I've experimented, and I hate them. Okay. Um, social media-wise? Yeah. Do, are you, how are you keeping... Are you sort of keeping in contact with your audience very much? Or are you, I mean, have you, I assume you have a core base of people that keep coming back. Or are you sort yeah. of the same, like sort of attracting tourists? Because it's in a, quite a touristy area. Yeah. yeah. But we have a, um, we don't get that many tourists. Okay. We're, uh, strangely enough, you'd think that it would be like half tourists. It's not. Right. It's like maybe 5 or 10% tourists. Right. Um, and, and although we'll have quite a few people from overseas in the audience... They're typically people who live in London. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a very London audience. Okay. And in terms of, I mean, I, I remember you wrote an article in 2010. So this was like four years into promoting, yeah. but five years, no, six years ago, sorry, six, 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 about, it was for Chortland, it's about the death of comedy clubs and how uh, the council was stopping flyering and promoting and mm-hmm. uh, or trying to put a stop to that. Yeah, they were trying to. Have you found that that's... I mean, if, you, if you're saying that flyering is tailing off a bit anyway, have you found that that has actually caused a bit of a death to the club or, or had an impact on your club at all? Well, the flyering ban never went through. Okay. Uh, and it was, it was Westminster Council. Um, Westminster Council was trying to stop Inky Jones. Right. And they were... Uh, so they started cracking, but they couldn't just single them out. Right. So they cracked down on everyone. Uh, and the way that they were doing it was uh, basically through th- strong arms and threats. Right. And um, <laughs> strangely enough, as it turned out, it wound up cracking down on everyone except Inky Jones. And there was quite a bit of protest about it. And then the ban, yeah, it disappeared. Westminster Council decided that that was not the strategy to use. Mm. Um, but there's, you know, there is a threat of, of that being nationally uh, against flyering. So it's not... It, the problem is, is yeah, if, if you're a s- small arts, uh, not just comedy, any, you know, d- small grassroots arts... You need flyering. You need, you know, you need to get the information out. There needs to be a way to get the information out, and flyering is a pretty effective way of doing that. Okay. Um, and in terms of, so I mean, you know, the club's ten years old. Yeah. And a lot of people are starting their own nights now. And like you said, the the free element makes most sense simply because a lot of other you're compete like you if you if you start a night now that's paid, I feel like there's a different perspective sometimes to to a free night of what you're going to get quality and also in yeah. terms of room and stuff. So it, what do you think is like the longevity for you being able to keep your night, first of all, going, but also at, at a paid level? Well, the thing is, um, if it was, I mean, hopefully forever. Uh, if you want to get good entertainment on a weekend, and you're, but you're not willing to pay for it, well, you're not going to get it. You know, you'd be priced out. Mm. Um, 
you know, that's kind of the... We work extremely hard on making sure that the quality of the nights is very high. Most people are pros. So people who make their living from comedy, why would they do a free night on, the, on a night when, they, when people go out and spend money? Like mm. you won't, you know, there, there's loads of acts you won't, will not get at a free night. And they're the better acts. So that just, do I think in a city of 10 million, 10 million people that there's uh, enough people who want to see quality and be assured of quality? Yeah. I mean, if you're going on a free night, it's going to be people who either, um, the best you could hope for is someone who is very talented and very hardworking but is not able to get the paid nights um, or someone who for some reason doesn't have another gig that night that pays and goes like, well, I might as well do a free thing just to, for the stage time. Um, but that's the best you can hope for on a free night. So, I mean, I think they have their place. Um, I'm not... Uh, there are some promoters who just despise them. I think, well, okay. I, it, I understand why people do it. Um, but I don't... I, I don't think my club is threatened by it. Okay. It's, it's threatened by other paid clubs is what it is. Right. As, I mean, because there is a lot of competition in this yeah. area of London. I mean, I, I assume you don't actively see them as competition because, I mean, you know the people who run the other clubs. So, yeah. So they're not competition as such, but they are in the sense that there's only a it's certain... sort of friendly competition. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I know, I know the promoters of all, the, of all my major competitors. Right. And uh, I get along with them. You know, I, we're all in the same business. We have more in common than we have separate. Right. You know, so um, and they're pretty good guys. Mm. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with them. And and I'm a comic, so I look for spots too. Yeah. You know, I I have performed for the two main competitors. Right. So uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess it's, it's 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 foolish for you to see it as a negative when, as a comic, you would yeah. love to be able to double up if you could yeah. if they're around the corner, sort of thing. Exactly, that makes perfect sense. Um, and, and I don't run every night of the week, so yeah, you know, I need other places to perform. Yeah, yeah, and of course, you. How long have you been a comedian now? As a stand-up, mm. um, ten years. Okay, I started the club pretty much. Just sort of six months after I started doing stand-up. Right. Um, but I did sketch and impro before that. And I was a musician and I was a frequent public speaker. So I it started stand-up ten years ago, but I didn't start comedy ten years ago. And I started performing when I was a kid. Okay. It was, it was very funny when I, uh, when I quit journalism. Um, to be a stand-up, one of my oldest friends said, "Yep, yeah, that makes sense. You've always been a performer." Nice. So, yeah, and and we've known each other for, since we were kids. And how, how long how long did it take you to go full time? The club helped with that, and because um, I, I was still doing some journalism up until two thousand eight or two thousand nine, so it was about. It's about three or four years. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before I was making my living entirely from comedy. So, 
So it took you three or four years to get to a stage where you were making your living entirely from comedy. Yeah. Not a good living. No. <laughs> no. So <laughs> sort was, of scraping by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I, yeah. Wasn't, I wasn't sort of um, DVD sales and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and, and you said the club helped with that. So was it a case of, like, what portion of that was club money and what, like, your club money and what portion of that was you going around the country? I, I assume going around the country or going, yeah. or were you just going around the capital at this point? What's the... Uh, well, even overseas. Okay. I was getting overseas gigs as well. Right. Um, still am occasionally. Uh, the, I don't know, the club, w- it, when it's doing well, is a pretty steady stream of income. Right. Um, but it can also, you know, like, it's, it can lose money really fast, too. Mm. Um, and I was doing a TV show for four years every week mm. so that was quite a bit of money coming in uh, which supported has supported the club when it wasn't doing well right you know I mean it's um, yeah and just all sorts of various little things you know that's the um, I think at least my philosophy in, in the performing arts is have a lot of tools in the toolbox for making money. Mm. And, um, yeah, I'm still thinking I should probably start doing some voiceover stuff and things like that. Voiceover stuff and things like that just to add some more, you know, some more streams of income. Mm. Because, yeah. Yeah, no, most people who who are full-time have said that they can't just make a living off the circuit like yeah. it's it's pretty impossible even if you're gigging you know six nights a week and and you know doing weekend stuff and whatever it's just not plausible you can just off the circuit um but I mean, you're still looking at a you know not a huge income right uh it's possible to do it because you think you know double or triple up on a saturday night um, a good level pro should be able to make about yeah probably around 600 a week right. off the circuit uh, but this is you know it's tough way to make a living yeah to make less than a plumber hello listener it was at this point in the podcast we actually had to move location and I have tried without success to try and edit it so that it is seamless into the next part of the podcast uh you're not missing out on anything we did stop recording and then move so it's not like i've had to edit out any really interesting and insightful facts but i thought while i have this opportunity because i don't normally do this i like to usually leave it the concept behind the podcast originally was that it would be like an unedited conversation between me and someone from industry And it would be a bit like you were sat next to someone or next to a couple of people having a chat at a pub in Edinburgh and you were just listening in, which is why I don't normally do this. But I'm just trying it out to see if it makes a difference. So while I've got you, while I've got a minute, I would like to just quickly reel off a few ways that you can support the show if you were so inclined to. Firstly, you can leave us a review on iTunes. They are being read by future guests, so they are invaluable for not only showing that I do have people that are listening, but people that are listening are engaged enough to take the time to write maybe 50, 60 word reviews and 
give it some star ratings. So if you have a minute and you have an iTunes account, please do that. Just leave me an honest rating and review. It really, really will help out. Two, link a friend to a podcast. If you have enjoyed an episode and you have made a friend on the circuit recently or you've been chatting to someone recently or you chatted to someone a year ago and they said something like, oh, I wonder how you get something on TV or I wonder what agents are looking for or I wonder what this promoter's booking policy is and you've listened to an episode that's related to that, do them a favour and link them to it. Just block it on their wall. Don't send it privately because if you put it on the wall, then other people might see it and it'll help spread the show really helps out. We are in the home stretch to 100,000 downloads and I am so excited about that. You have no idea. Like I've I've been watching it grow just over the last 18 months and it is I just can't thank you enough. Seriously, most of the downloads come from people that stream it off my website and so that's why I'm saying link to them still. But also, most of the downloads come from people who are sharing the links and sharing the pod, not the direct subscriptions. So, do subscribe if you haven't already. That's another way you can help out the show, because it means that you will get it straight into your inbox, but also it means that the download number will go up, and the quicker that more... The quicker... I've been told this is true, but I'm not sure how true it is, because no one really knows how the iTunes algorithm works, but the the quicker that your episode gets downloaded, the more popular iTunes thinks it is... And so the higher up the chart it becomes, so the more discoverable it is. Now, we are pretty much consistently in the business and careers chart top 50, right? And often when I release a new episode, we jump into the top 20 in careers and top 10 in business, which is great. But I would love it if we could crack the top five. Like, just just one. The third way you can help, become a patron. The Patreon has slipped slightly recently, which is absolutely fine because I wouldn't ask anyone to donate who can't afford it. And if you can't afford it and you need to cancel, that is fine as well. Um, Hopefully other people will join and and support it. So if you're getting any value out of this show and you think you would love to see it move forward in a positive direction and you want to give me a budget to get that to happen, please do do become a patron. Um, There's a link in the show notes. Uh, You can donate from $1, which is ATP a podcast. So, so if you're enjoying getting up to 90 minutes of quality interviews with the industry leaders in comedy and you would love to see this show carry on, please do do that. I'm traveling around at the moment and I'm trying to do the podcast. Ha- having a bit of a budget does help, clearly. So if you can take a minute and help out, that would be amazing. If you want to just do a one-off donation, you can do that via PayPal on my website as well. Or if you just want to do a monthly reoccurring fee, there's a PayPal thing on there, which allows you to just select one, two, three, four, five, ten, whatever you think you want to give or whatever you can give per month. Um, Just to put it in context, I do three podcasts a month at most that I charge for. It means I take a day off work or I have to travel somewhere or I have to, you know, just put extra effort in for certain things. It just helps out. So if you would be willing to help me out that way, that'd be amazing and just massively appreciated. Seriously, I, I can't thank you enough. Final thing that you could do is join the Facebook group, which is called RC Industry Podcast, and it is on Facebook, obviously. And it's the best place for you to get the most up-to-date information on upcoming guests, but also you'll be able to ask questions to future guests. People have asked me recently, you know, like, oh, I didn't realise that guest was coming on. It's the best place to have, like, sort of group discussions and things. So, for example, I'm going to Manchester in a few weeks, and I'm trying to get a few promoters up there. I'm going to Brighton for the Fringe. I'm getting a few people down there. So I'll ask in there for suggestions for people that you'd like to hear on there, 
and uh, I will link you out when the people that I have got confirmed are on and ask for your questions there. So that's the best place to do that. To help out the show. It really makes a difference to, to the show, to the download numbers, to the, my financial status. Without any more delays, let's get back to the interview with David. I hope when I edit this, it's not too rambly. Thank you very much for listening. It was so clear that they were... Uh, not technical and not very good and not very experienced. Always look for the always look for the stuff that looks really used. There's probably a reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't. I know what you. Think. I know what you mean. Mm. Yeah. Um, what's it? While we're on Edinburgh, let's talk about yeah. that really quickly. Because um, you take the Soho Comedy Club to Edinburgh. I have. Yeah. Yeah. And how many? A couple of years now. You've done that. I've done ten Edinburghs in a row. And um, this is going to be actually my first year not doing it okay um i yeah i didn't have fun last time i didn't have and um didn't get a single review on my solo show and it was a really good solo show uh and yeah no i just thought why, why am i doing this i may have lost a tv show too what from doing edinburgh yeah so like there, there was no i didn't make money i didn't enjoy it I didn't get anyone reviewing my show. I, I just thought, what a colossal waste of my time, uh, time and energy. That could be better spent elsewhere. However, it was a great experience when I was a newer comic and really needed stage time. And, you know, that was... Um, I wouldn't say Edinburgh is, is useless just because i have now, where I am in my career, finding it pretty useless. Right, uh, but I have yeah. I brought up. I've brought up at least two shows a year since two thousand eight. So two thousand um, two thousand six was my first Edinburgh. Two thousand seven had one show, and then two thousand and eight had three shows a day. Wow! And pretty much kept three shows and went down to two shows uh, only uh, uh, two years ago. So, yeah, I've done a lot of Edinburgh shows. Mm. Like one, one year I was doing four a day. Which because? Is because it, it was fun. Okay. Yeah. Did it help to break even or to make profit by yeah. spreading it across shows? Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The more shows. And you get a thing where you flyer, you get people in, and you, you have more shows, you have more things to appeal to people, and you get to... If, they, if people enjoyed one show, they'll come to another show. So right. if you can get people into any one show, you've got them in for all four or all three or whatever. As long as it's not the same material. Yeah. 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 Okay. And when you took up Soho, I mean, the Soho, Soho is a London-based branding. Yeah. So what was the, I mean, did it, did it translate up there? I mean, did they sort of go, oh, this is a London club that's come to Edinburgh? Or was it just, they... I just thought... Before that, it was called the Midnight Hour, right? And then, and then I put it, um, yeah. And then I just branded it as Soho. I thought, why not? Why not have it as the same brand? People will know it from London, and it, and people who are up in Edinburgh to get more, to get more, uh, to get more brand recognition. I mean, the more you get the brand out there, the more people see it, the more it goes into their head. So yeah, that was kind of the thought of just. Yeah, sure. Have people are running around Edinburgh with the Soho Comedy logo T-shirts and handing out flyers, and people from London will see it. People coming who haven't been to London, or yeah, just get it out there more. 
did it help in terms of getting more exposure nationally for you know around com- from comedians because obviously there are clubs in Manchester that I will have never have heard of because I've never been there yeah. so was that an intention of yours at all or was it did you not really mind about that I just didn't see a downside really it's getting more brand recognition just getting the brand in front of more eyes mm. so I think amongst comedians they probably already know about the club uh, or, or certainly amongst the comedians that I'm interested in hiring the um, I mean I, I did have uh, a thing right now where we're, we're having an open spot on the weekends because I want to make sure I'm expanding my horizons and um, it's v- it's very easy to wind up where you you know you know a couple hundred comics and you're friends with them and you're performing with them and there's other comics and you're just kind of not in the consciousness which is why I, I started doing a um, an open spot so I can try people out with no risk to the club and I'm not staking my reputation on it um, but I did have one guy who asked if it was uh, uh, if it was a bringer gig I was like dude you're you're just way too inexperienced yeah. even to be considered for this yeah that's I won't ask who it was um, yeah but that's incredible okay um, yeah and in terms of so like you said, I mean, it can, it can get to a stage, especially if you're not running... Because, I mean, I assume you do, you do all the bookings. Yeah. So as a result, do you like dealing direct with comedians or do you deal with agents mainly? What's your... I prefer to deal directly with comedians, but I understand why people have agents. Mm. So I deal... And, and some agents are great and some are a pain in the ass, and I'm not going to mention who those people are. Right. Uh, they... Um, yeah, I mean, and, and there are some agents where... I grudgingly work with uh, because they're just such a pain in the ass to deal with. Um, yeah. And, and if people pull uh, enough gigs on me where I'm left scrambling to find cover after it's there, you know, the acts have gone out in the listings, whether it's the act themselves or an agent is, you know, it certainly does make me think hey, you know, all things being equal, I'll choose someone else. Yeah. Um, unless they have, you know, unless it's an, you know, amazing performer that I'm after. And I just, there, it's not all things being equal. Okay, where were we? Um, exactly. Um, I mean, one of, one of the big things that's changed in London very recently is the uh, closure of timeout comedy. Yeah. How do you think, or how has that, or how do you think that's going to affect your club? Well, I, I think... Uh, only incrementally. I mean, I think the, the problem was is that people were less and less going to it. But when I started, God, when I started the club, that it was flyers and a listing in timeout. You know, that was that was all the marketing I did, and um, and we were full. Uh, it's a lot harder now. But there's so many places to list. And I think... Do you use the timeout website? Um, I did. I've sort of slowed it down since they're sort of not doing... I mean, sometimes to look stuff up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Historical stuff or whatever? Yeah. Um, not massively. I use the Londonist a bit more now, if yeah. you know them. Um tend to use social media so if like someone I like yeah says I'm doing this gig I'll go I think it's kind of a, it's a shame because there is I don't really find that there is sort of a central repository anymore right where that used to be the case I mean it used to be you know che- you wanted to know what gigs were in London check out Time Out mm. and every gig was there and now I, I don't yeah I, I think smartphones and the proliferation of websites has led to a, a much less organized way of finding out information would you because i think for me i i think it's the other way around but i think discovering stuff is harder for me mm-hmm. so i curate you know my twitter feed or my facebook or whatever yeah so i can find out exactly the information i want from different places it's finding new places for me to find out stuff or to send off my, you know, listing from my gigs or whatever that I find the hardest bit. Although yeah, I know being introduced to something new that you didn't already know about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or finding a new comedian or, or a performer or a show. Because, yeah, I just don't, I don't have that. I don't have new information coming to me. I only have information from the ones I'm interested yeah. in. But it's like listening to an album over and over again. Eventually you want... A new album. You want to hear something else. Yeah. yeah, and you don't necessarily want it from the same singer. Not that the singer's got any worse or anything. It's just that. I just wondered because, yeah, like you said, a fly ring's dying off, and if Time Out was not as much of a help as it once was. You said that like you've got several methods in London, or like you, you, you have several things that bring in certain pockets of people. Yeah. What, do you use apps, or are you, what's your... Yeah. We use everything we can think of we use and then we track how well it does and yeah it's it sort of there is no magic bullet mm. you know it's um, it's if anything it's um, just doing a lot of different things sort of uh, and some of the things are not very effective you know we've kind of we've looked at that in tracking what works and what doesn't um, but mostly what we find is everything works a little bit mm. um, and nothing is magic 
What's the least effective thing you've tried? Uh, stuff we don't do anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Any examples? <clears throat> there are some places where we'd never get listings. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like we'd list and we just never once got, uh, and these were online things where we never once got a link through. And looked at it and went like, uh, you know, we've been doing this for a year. Yeah. And we have never once had someone click through, this is pointless. Yeah. Uh, so there are things like that. Mm. Um, yeah, print advertising. Utterly useless. It just, it, it produces absolutely nothing. And I feel sorry for the people who are in ad sales in printed publications it tried tried it and it just it returns precisely zero it is just money you know I would have been better off going and having a really nice meal for me and all my friends uh, because it would have been as effective at getting people in as print advertising has been okay yeah I mean no, it would probably be more effective. We'd probably get the waiter to come. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, Prince, I mean, you were, you were, you were a journalist yeah. and, and dabble sometimes. And, and yeah, I, I was a print journalist. Yeah, and, <laughs> so. I, and I do that sometimes as well. Yeah. And you find online, if you get your article published, it's way more, well, obviously it's going to be way more read because it's wider circulation, but print yeah. stuff, I just don't, I, I, it just doesn't make any viable sense anymore, I don't think. Not for advertising. Right. Um, I still subscribe to a couple magazines. Mm. You know? So, I mean, I do I do read print. Mm. Uh, and I... Yeah, it's easier to read. And, you know, stick a magazine in the coat pocket. Um, reading stuff on a phone is not fun. It just doesn't get you to go down to the club if you saw it in a magazine. Yeah. Okay. Um... And in terms of progression in your club, seeing as it's like a sole venture, I assume you're, you're the only person that runs or the main person that runs it? I'm the main person, but yeah, I mean, I have a show manager and techs and a marketing person in charge of marketing, um, you know, who also helps out with bookings. I mean, so it's, it's not just me. Mm. It's, uh, that's why it's, it's not the royal we when right. I say we. Um, I mean, it's decisions are made collectively, mm. and uh, I mean I'm the big boss, and I my business card says big cheese. Yeah, but the um, but it's it it really isn't just me. Mm. That everything that when we make decisions at the club, they're collective decisions. Okay, and in terms of um, bookings and and, mm-hmm. and progression and stuff. What is the ladder? What does the ladder look like for your club? Used to be easier. <laughs> there used to be a really smooth progression from new act to headliner, and uh, that's not the case anymore. For headliners, I just get the best act I can find, and um, and then I try to make sure that the bill is is balanced and there's variety to the bill, and. The, I mean, in a sense, there is progression, but most of the, I mean, the people I book as headliners have been going since before the club was founded. Right. So, uh, if uh, people who are doing open spots 
Actually, people are doing open spots now. They're pretty experienced comedians. So, uh, yeah, but, I mean, there is, there is a progression in it. But the, the, the low end is, um, yeah, I mean, I don't even... There's a lot of comics who I'm, I'm just, you know, I think they're years away from having the skills before I would even think of them as an open spot. Um, and that's just, I, yeah, um, you know, this Soho Comedy Club is not a new act night. It's, uh, I mean, e- even the least experienced are probably a couple years in. And, and the ones with that little experience are very talented. Um, there was, uh, there's only one guy who I ever, uh, booked for a paid spot after um, like six months of gigs and he was a character act and it was and I asked him how many gigs he'd done and he said 52 and he was amazing wonderful performance astonishingly good writing and I was like I, I, how can this be possible and then I found out he was a professional comedy writer and had <laughs> and was an actor right. and I went Oh, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yep. you you had this. You had the performing skill. You had the writing skill. You've just put them together, yep. and now you've done it fifty times, and you've figured out how to do it. Yep. Can um, I ask you who that was? Uh, yeah, he, um, Nat, Nat Tapley, okay. with Sri Ian Bowler. Okay. Yeah. I'll look them up. I, I've not heard. Of oh, he's wonderful. Wonderful okay. political satire. Cool. Yeah. Okay. He's very very good. And in terms of scouting for acts. I mean, obviously, you gig around the circuit a lot, so yeah. you notice people, and, and obviously, I assume take recommendations from other clubs. I take recommendations from people I know, yeah, right. whose who's re- who, who's judgment I respect. And if people are playing a lot of other clubs, mm. that probably means they're a pretty good act. Right. And um, that's one of the things I found re- Edinburgh so useful for. You just get to see so many people. Um. But yeah, I mean, but also I have people just apply and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm a pro. I've been going for quite a while. Here's some clips of me. Uh, and um, that's how I, I was the first guy to put Magnus Bettner on stage in the UK. And uh, yeah, a guy sent me an email who I'd met before and who was a brand new comic, but he wound up being his agent. And uh, said, hey, I've got this Swedish comic. He's really big stuff in Sweden. Uh, And he sent me a link to him doing a show in English. And it was an hour-long show of him in a church. And it was hysterically funny. I find I almost never laugh out loud watching something at my computer. Mm -hmm. And I was laughing out loud. And I went, yeah, absolutely. I'm booking him. You know, got, got back in touch and said, yes, absolutely. And um, so there is there is that too, but it's it's um, they boy do they have to be good to go that method yeah. that route. Uh, Simon King is another guy I did that way, and um, so close to my name. Hmm? That was going to be such a quote then if you'd. <laughs> uh, and Simon King is a very good comedian. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a handful who've who've come that way. Hmm. And. Um, Obviously, there's a lot more comedians now than when you started. 
There's a lot of comedians. Okay. Yeah. There's fewer shows, I think. I think there are fewer... I think there was more comedy clubs in central London when I started. And what, one of the things that astonishes me is, like, when I first started running the roundtable, the roundtable was running, oh, like five or six nights a week. I think maybe even seven nights a week doing comedy at the upstairs room at the roundtable. And... Like and there was the blue posts and people were doing comedy shows in there and there were uh, and then the, at the other blue posts I mean it was you know there was lots of little inexpensive gigs with dedicated comedians going to them and doing spots and th- those just don't seem to exist anymore I mean have you seen a gig at the Queen's Head on Denman Street I mean 99 does Sundays but I think it's just so that they keep their toe in and they can't get enough people to fill more than the king's head on a Sunday, which is tiny. It's 20 people. Um, but I, I don't see a lot of those type of gigs. So I think there are, in many ways, fewer gigs. And, there, and even the big paid gigs, there's, not, there's a couple clubs that have gone belly up in the West End. Um, and fewer nights. So, I mean, I don't th- I think... I don't know if there's more comedians, but I think there's fewer performing opportunities than there used to be. Has that worried you at all? Um, yes and no. Uh, this is going to be sort of a... I, I used to be... In, I, I studied in graduate school. I, I studied economics, and for a little while I was an economist. And one of the things I covered as a journalist was economics. And... Um, the what it says about the economy and about the comedy industry and the economy broader economy is a very bad thing the spend on entertainment before the banking crash was more spread out during the week it's now quite concentrated on to saturday and look if i could get the audience uh i would run seven nights a week no problem. I'd hire new people. Problem is, you can't get an audience on a Tuesday. It's very hard to get an audience, and the people who are getting audiences on a Tuesday aren't charging. I mean, Top Secret does it, but I mean, they're essentially running a free gig with pretty decent comedians, and they're making the money off the bar. Um, and since they're paying for the space, they might as well be selling alcohol. Uh, but that's their business model is, is they make their money off the bar. You, um, you don't make any money off your bar? No. Okay. No, I'm all doors. Yeah. Right. Everything. Soho Comedy Club is, is supported by the ticket price. Okay. So that's, that's also why when I've had people say, well, you know, we keep the bar and a portion of the ticket sales. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not, not with us. You don't. Uh, that's a... And we've gone through quite a few venues now at this point. You know, we were at the Comedy Pub, and then we are at the Empire Casino. and uh, So we were briefly at Kubar. Mm. You know, we've done a lot of different venues in central London, mm. um, which is a point leading to nothing. So ask another <laughs> question. Well, I was going to ask, so as an economist or yeah. as someone who analyzes the economy, is it a case of people 
don't want to risk going out of the like in the week because I don't want to have a hangover in the middle of the week, or, or is it just live for the weekend mentality of sort of the way? Um, what it is is that basically you saw a uh, you saw a pretty big decrease in people's spending power, and all of the economic gains since that decrease have all accrued to a very very small percentage of the population so basically what you're seeing is for most people their incomes fell and have not come back up and a lot of other things have gone up in price and if you look at the median household incomes budget on what they can afford to spend on arts and entertainment they can basically afford to go out once a month and before the crash they could afford it twice a month right so essentially What's happened is there's half as many people going out. They have half as much money to spend on going out. And I think that's really the issue is that the, there are less audiences. So people take – because they don't get to go out as much, they take fewer chances. So that's why you see big TV names. Uh, they're doing really well and really high price where people are going out once – because they're going, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend money, I want to make sure what I'm going out. Whereas that only helps the headline, you know, the very, very top uh, for the whole rest of the circuit. It requires people to go, yeah, I know I'm going to probably have a good time. Let's, let's do it. And um, that's, you know, that's, it's off that segment that we make our living. And okay, so what I'm saying basically is you've had a greater concentration of wealth, and people are taking, they're not spending as much money, and the money they are spending is going to a very, very small percentage. So it's bad for the industry as a whole, and it means that the economy is hollowing out in the middle. It's like the, the 80 20 principle. Hmm? The 80 20 principle. So 80% of the ticket sales are going to 20% of the, or probably less, of the circuit. I would say it's more like um, 81. <laughs> Right. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of, I mean, there's a lot of uh, universities and, and colleges and stuff in London, yeah. all of whom, you know, sort of still have uh, student loans and uh, yeah. so a bit of a disposable income. Has that not uh, helped it out at all? I suppose we're talking no, about I, I, I don't think it's... Uh, I think at the end of the day, you've got uh, students uh, have less money. I mean, it's... I used to, I when I first started running Soho Comedy Club, I found that you could pretty much get an audience any night of the week except Tuesday. Tuesday Sunday is really hard too, but with the exception of Tuesday and Sunday, you could pretty much get an audience any day of the week. Mm. And now I find that we have five times as many people on Saturday as we do on Friday. So if that gives you an idea how concentrated, yeah, you know, if, if well, maybe not five times, but four times. Why not Tuesday and Sunday? Do you know why those are the bum days, I suppose? It just seemed like the quietest nights. Okay. Yeah. It's just, um, the central London is 
the West End is pretty quiet on a Sunday. It, it's pretty amazing the difference mm. of uh, on Leicester Square between Saturday night where it's thousands of people per, going through it per minute and then Sunday where you can pretty easily count every single person on the square. Mm. And, you know, it will be like half a dozen. Mm. It's, it's kind of creepy how, how fast, like, when the Saturday night clears up, it's just, it stays, you know. The, there's more people at 4 o'clock in the morning on Saturday or on Sunday morning than there are is at 4 in the afternoon Sunday. Right. It's kind of creepy that way. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's just people got work the next day? Yeah. Or, right. Yeah. Uh, also, I think it's it's a function of the concentration of, of uh, wealth and people concentrating their spend into, you know, when they go out, they're going to go out at one time and then not other times. Yeah, like one big hit and then... Yeah. Do you find... You know, uh, they, they, the old saying was Thursday's the new Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday's the new Friday. Right. <laughs> Friday's just getting a bum deal right now. Yeah. Yeah. So... Do you find then that, like, at the end of the month or the start of the month, yeah. there's more people going out because obviously if they've been paid, they'll they're more likely to just go, oh, let's go on a big blowout kind of thing. Or does it does it not work like that over the course of a over, over the course of say four Saturdays? I don't think that has. I don't think that has much an effect. Okay. There's a little bit of that, but. Yeah, not not that. I think other things are more important. I think the weather has a big in- impact. Okay. Um, As in people not going out because it's cold? or if, if it's really bad weather, people won't go out. If there's a tube strike, people won't go out. Uh, however, if it's raining, that's fine. People will go out. Yeah. It's, um, We're half expecting If that. there's snow, no, nobody goes out. Tube strike is pretty bad. And, um, uh, but the big killer, the big killer is warm sunshine. That's just, nobody wants to go inside when it's warm and sunny. And, uh, you know, everyone's outside drinking. And by the time there's comedy on, they're either drunk or they don't want to. Yeah. 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 No, I've noticed that pattern in, yeah. yeah. Edinburgh's very well timed so that it's kind of not as sunny usually. And it's, uh, well, also people get, they get enough sun. Mm. Uh, part of it's physiological. The truth is, is that all winter long, people are using their stores of vitamin D. And by the time spring comes around, they're pretty low. The body needs to replenish. And as soon as the sun comes out, people are outside. Mm. trying to. It, I mean, it's part of it's just physiological. And it feels really good to be in the sunshine when you haven't been mm. in it for a while. And uh, studies have found that, that it activates the pleasure centers of the brain, of course. Mm. And how do you compete with that? A phys- yeah. physiological need that people have. Yeah. Uh, that, and you can add beer to it. So, hey. Why do you need jokes? Yeah, exactly. Mm. You already feel good. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I, I'm not going to book any gigs in in July. I'm just going <laughs> to... But after a couple... After people have sort of been in the sun... And they're physiologically, they have enough vitamin D again. Um, the sun is not so attractive anymore. I, um, and yeah, so by July, by late July, people are going, eh, I could go inside. All right, June, June. Yeah. <laughs> okay, 
These are quick fire questions. You can take as long as you want to answer them. They're just the same for every guest, basically. Um, what are the best books on comedy writing or stand up that you've ever read? Um, uh, Jean Perret's book on on joke on comedy writing. That's the best comedy joke writing book. What's it called? Uh, How to write comedy or something. Okay. Something something like that. Okay. I think it's out of print, unfortunately, but right. that's very good. Um, on being a comedian, I don't know. I I'm not a big fan of autobiographies. Mm. Um, I I read all of George Carlin's books, but they're like his comedy writing exercises that were funny. Mm. And the um, see what else? There's uh, Steve Martin's autobiography is really good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, what's the best show you've ever seen? Can't be one of your own. Comedy show? Yeah. Or it can be comedy or... Um, that I've seen live? Either. That's a... Uh, Do you want to come back to that one? No, I just... I, I would say that George Carlin is probably the best comic of the 20th century. And uh, a couple of his shows, which I saw recorded, was just amazing. Um, and one of the big influences on my comedy, certainly. Uh, I've seen so many good shows. Love Bill Burr's stuff; it's fantastic. Um, the Kerry uh, uh, Marks is a great guy to see. Is hmm. I up in Edinburgh whenever he does an Edinburgh show. That's the 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 one thing I see other than you know that I'm not performing in. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to... Okay. Um, that, that, I'm sorry, I wish I could ans- no, 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 give no, a better no. answer. No, it's fine, it's fine. Um, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made, and how did you overcome it? Uh, not bringing a really pretty girl from Texas to Hawaii with me when I was given a press junket. Um, <laughs> that's one mistake that looms in my mind. Um... God, there's so many. <laughs> so many mistakes or so yeah, many? Yeah, okay. so many mistakes. Um, I don't know. I mean, but some of the mistakes I made, uh, like the mistakes of in journalism. Right. Uh, where I should have taken a job and didn't. Um, I was invited to join an investment bank a couple times. And whenever I'm lamenting how little money I have, I think that was a mistake. Uh, but then when I get over that temporary money problem, I think, no, I did made the right decision. Right. So it's it's kind of hard. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am now, and I like where I am now. Okay. So I, I, if I had made different decisions in the past, I wouldn't be where I am now, and I think that I wouldn't like that. Okay. So I, how did I overcome it? I doing what I love to do mm. in a place that I love to be. And, uh, yeah, in general, I'm quite happy with my life. And I'm quite happy that I haven't reached the level of success I want to because I have something to strive for. Mm. Okay. Um, What is the most interesting thing you do that nobody else sees, comedy-wise? (laughs) Comedy-wise? The TV show I did for four years. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a joke. Almost no one saw it in the UK. Right. Um hugely popular in East Africa. Right. 
I talked to some people who, who uh, were doing a documentary mm. in Eritrea, and uh, they came back and said, dude, you're a huge star in Eritrea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I had to get out a map to figure out where Eritrea was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the name of the show? Double Standards. Double Standards. And who yeah. produced it? And it was Alternate Reality Productions is starring Afshin Rotansi, who was also the producer of it. Cool. And uh, did that with him for four years. In the last year, I wrote the show, and as well as I appeared in every episode. Mm. And um, but I also co-produced it, wrote it in its entirety, and co-produced it the last year, which was you know fifty episodes. Mm. So I have a lot more TV experience than people realize. Yeah, yeah, um, two hundred and twenty episodes. <laughs> but. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, viewership in the UK, you know, like seven. Yeah, and and I'm I'm kind of not exaggerating. That's no, it's it's uh, there was a film I watched. Also, my my thing I think what was to that question, uh, most interesting comedy thing I've done that not many people know about my solo shows. The the um, I did a show called You're Being Lied To, which was all mm. about tabloid journalism. And then, the, then everybody else found out that tabloids were full of crap. Mm. And then it kind of became old hat. Mm. And then uh, I did a show called Conspiracy, mm. uh, all about conspiracy nuts. And um, the first show, I think, wasn't the first year I did that show. I don't think it was very good. The last time I did it, I think it was an excellent show. Mm. And I think if, if I'd managed to get a single reviewer in, it would have been four or five star. I think mm. it was an excellent show. Um, and it was that combination, which I really like, of being informative and interesting and funny all at the same time. Mm. And But, yeah. Luck of the draw, getting them in. Yeah. Yeah. Right, a terrible venue. I was, did you hear about the whole Cowgate Head thing? Yeah, I was thing? Cowgate Head as well. Yeah. yeah. So I wound up in the arches, and getting people to the arches was like pulling teeth. Yeah. If I had if I had twenty five people in my show, it was a good day. Yeah. And that's yeah, soul crushing, yeah. especially when you've got like six people in the audience and going, "This is a good fucking show." I'm too experienced. I'm to be, you know. Yeah. This sucks. Mm. Was that what put you off going then, the freestyle issue? Yeah. Okay. Would you not? Well, just go that's again? why I'm I'm taking a year off. Was just the experience of doing that last year. I thought, well, what's the point? I would wind up, I was just so frustrated um, every day, just incredibly frustrated. And I thought, why am I doing this to myself? Why don't I have a summer? I can do lots of gigs. If I want to do a show, I can tour a show. Mm. Um, this is, I just thought, I'm just, I'm spending money to torture myself. Mm. Okay. Um, who do you think is the most underrated person in the industry? Kerry Marks. Okay. Reason? Um, yeah I just think he's a, a absolutely superb comic um, another one I'd say is very good uh, is Canadian guy Simon King um, but uh, yeah I think Kerry Marks I mean he he should have his own TV show he had his own radio thing recently uh, Intensive Kerry that was really good yeah yeah he's um yeah, that, I saw that Edinburgh show. It was great. Mm, yeah. It was really, really good. Beautifully written show. Mm. Uh, and the show he did the year before was really good as well. Mm. 
yeah, he's. I I think he's one of the best comedians in the UK. Cool. Um, what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry, and how would you go about solving it? I think the biggest problem with the comedy industry. Uh, I think there's, well, in the live comedy industry, I think one of the problems is that there's a stereotype of what comedy clubs are like. And the stereotype is very, very different from the reality. Um, Unless the, except for that club I mentioned before, which is awful. Uh, But there's so many good comedians. So I think that's, that's a problem. But also there's a big problem where... The British music scene used to be one of the best music scenes globally. And then you had people who were creating manufactured bands, uh, talentless, pretty hacks who can dance a bit and sing a bit and, um, and, cre- and making, propelling people into stardom, like manufactured stars. Um, and... Th- that's a terrible system and the same th- and people are trying to do that now in comedy they are taking people and trying to propel them into stardom who aren't very good and uh, I, I really thought it was quite dramatic when I saw George Michael sing a duet in one of these appalling uh, karaoke competition shows right? X Factor uh, Britain Scott talent yeah. but not in evidence on this show um and the the winner that year's winner was this guy and he sang a duet with george michael who is a real musician um and a really good songwriter and they sang a duet together and george michael's voice was just head and shoulders above and i thought th- they basically killed the system mm. to create another george michael mm. And they're putting out this talentless hack. Um, and I think there's a real effort to do that with comedy as well. And I hate it. Comedy is one of the few things where it's, it is that person's writing and thoughts and performance. And um, so I think that has the potential to destroy the industry. That sort of propelling phony stars. Um, and the other thing, and I find this very worrisome, the UK right now has a terrible government, and there's no political satire. Where, where, where is the satire? Why aren't people ruthlessly making fun of Cameron? This is the second podcast I've done today, and both of you have said that. I, I mean, I find it shocking that there isn't more political satire. Uh, there's a new show that's coming out with Matt Ford, on BBC Two, so hopefully they'll have some real satire. I'm hoping. I mean, God sakes, the Prime Minister of this country put his dick in a dead pig's head and nobody's mentioning this? Mm. Like, that should be a running theme. Mm. I, the best uh, political satire person I saw stopped about two years ago and I met up with him recently and I asked him why and he said people don't know what I'm talking about because no one stays up to date with politics because they're not interested in it. So, you know, if you, had a, if you do a well-informed political crowd, yeah. he does well. If you go to a regular club and he talks about a policy or something, no one has a clue. He has to explain the policy and then do the joke and that yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. 
Who is that? Uh, Alex Chapman? No. Okay. Do you know? Uh, I know the name. Okay. Yeah, I don't know him personally. He's... Uh, I'll edit this one up. He's, he's looking at starting his own podcast and stuff mm-hmm. soon. I'll link you when it goes out. He's, he's incredible, but he just... He was like, just no one knows what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. just no one has a clue. Um, yeah. Uh, like, I loved him because when he talked about something to do with politics he tend to make it accessible enough that I would get it and I'm not I, I like politics but I'm not into it as much yeah. as he is but then he would you know you know, if we met up on like an open circuit thing because this was you know four or five years ago he'd be like no one has a either they don't know what I'm talking about or they're, they're not willing to laugh at it because I've gone on after someone whimsical who's set the bar to like this standard that yeah, he's not going to you know it's hard I used to do uh, lots of politics in my set mm. and I don't anymore mm. Um. Yeah, all my political thoughts are. <laughs> it's not really in comedy much, mm. uh, although I should. This is a terrible government. Like <laughs> they're making such incredibly bad decisions that are affecting people's lives, and nobody's mentioning it. Mm. So, yeah. If you had one bit of advice uh, to give someone who was going to. Trying, either try and get a spot with Soho Comedy Club mm-hmm. or just was going to start trying to move up to the level of Soho Comedy Club what would you say to them? Gig all the time, write loads of stuff perfect the good stuff uh, get really good right and, what's and the once best? they're really good, pester me <laughs> and what's the best advice you've ever been given? <laughs> slow down <laughs> After that, <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to leave it there. With a couple of thousand com- confused comedians, as to what to do. Um, yeah. If it's going well, slow down. If it's going badly, slow down. Right. Yeah. That's okay. The best. It was Reg D. Hunter gave me that advice. I like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. All right. Thank you. That was David. I really loved chatting to him. I just felt like he had such an analytical mind and such a business brain. And uh, I, I really hope that uh, you got as much out of that as I did. I felt like uh, it was just a really in-depth interview, especially for a very short amount of time. So if you've enjoyed this show, as I said, sort of about halfway through, if you could donate, that'd be amazing. haven't really had any donations for a little while, so if you wouldn't mind sort of chucking me a couple of quid to help me continue with this show that'd be amazing there's a paypal link on my website or if you'd like to do a regular donation you can become a patreon which means that you donate per episode from one dollar which is about 80p so that'd be amazingly helpful please do consider doing that if you can afford it if you can't afford it don't worry about it just share this link with a friend it really helps out the show if you don't have any friends or you don't want to do that join the facebook group if you don't want to do that or you've already done that leave us a review in itunes if you've already done that or you don't want to do that your job's done so have a great afternoon thank you very much for listening thank you very much for supporting thank you very much for sharing and donating and whichever way you've chosen to support the show just infinitely thank you and i'll see you in about 10 days time bye imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 